0: In 1636, an institution of higher learning uh, was founded with the intention of uh, being a school to train Christian ministers. Uh, In accordance with that vision, the rules and precepts for this institution, which were adopted 10 years later in 1646, stated this one of the rules and principles stated this let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ which is eternal life and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning and seeing the Lord only Giveth wisdom, let everyone seriously set himself by prayer in secret to seek it of him. Uh, that institution of learning was Harvard University. Uh, in 1692, Harvard adopted the motto I'm not going to say this Latin phrase correctly, perhaps my daughter can correct me, or other of you Latin scholars Veritas. Christo et Ecclesiae, which translated from the Latin means truth for Christ and the church. That's what Harvard University was established on. Uh, With the secularization of the school that has taken place, the, the current logo for the institution just has the word veritas now, just the word truth, no, for Christ and the church. Uh, uh, Harvard has drifted from its initial commitment to serve Christ and His church. Uh, It's one thing to start out well in an endeavor, a good resolve perhaps for something. Uh, But it's another thing to stick with that resolve through thick and thin. To come to the end with that same resolve that you began with. And that's true of our following Jesus. It's not really so much about how you start off with Jesus. I mean, everybody does need to start off with Jesus. But if, it's not really so much how you start off with him, but how you go on, how you persevere in him. And this, this matter of perseverance, of endurance, as we've been talking about and singing about, reflecting upon this morning, uh, it's, it's not a virtue that is particularly valued in our culture, I don't think. I would guess that those who are older saints among us, I haven't done a poll this morning, but I would guess those who are older saints among us would see our day to be a day that is sadly marked by vacillation, by commitments that are far too easily broken. Uh, Younger people today think of of changing and of leaving and of shifting and of modifying and swapping to enhance life, almost anything but enduring. Uh, People very easily quit. They move, they change their minds and The idea of a a long and hard and plodding along, a kind of keep on keeping on obedience is an increasingly rare quality to find. But it's that kind of perseverance and constancy and patience that God's people are called to. And it's that kind of call that we are considering this morning as we continue this slow, this slow, steady, patient examination of this one paragraph in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, We've not been studying the whole book of the Bible together. We just started our study at at the end of the book at chapter six, verse 10. And as Paul brings this letter to the Ephesians to a conclusion, he highlights for the Ephesians the, the urgency of their calling to live in a manner worthy of Christ by using the imagery of the church engaged in warfare. He calls the saints to put on the the Christian armor, the whole armor of God, as it says there in verse 11, and again in verse 13, so that we can be properly equipped to stand up to the assaults that will inevitably come our way in this fallen and spiritually dangerous world. Uh, For the Christian, life... I wonder if you found this to be so. For the Christian, life is an armed struggle against a powerful adversary. And in this battle, we must, we are called to stand firm. Look again at verse 13. That is, as Jeff said, that's our focus this morning. Therefore, which, which points us backwards in the text, right? Therefore, because your adversary, the devil, because he's strong and scheming, because he's crafty, because there is a large and unified force of his allies that are mounted against you in malice. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. And so that is God's call to us this morning, Christian brother and sister, stand firm. Three questions about Ephesians 6.13. What does it mean to stand What does that mean exactly? I trust you know it's not exactly the same as when I told you to stand so so that we could sing, like stand up instead of sitting down. But what does it mean to stand? Why are we particularly in need of this exhortation to stand? And how do we stand? Those are the questions I'd like for us to consider this morning. What does it mean to stand? Why do we particularly need this exhortation to stand? And how do we stand? It is important that we understand what it means to stand because Paul is just saying it over and over again in the beginning part of this passage. Did you notice that at the beginning of the paragraph? He says it really four times. We are to stand against the schemes of the devil in verse 11. Then he says we're to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm and then as if we'd not yet gotten the message that he was intent and desirous of us standing he begins verse 14 by repeating the call again this time as a commandment therefore stand now we're still dealing when we think about this word stand and what it means to stand we need to remember we're we're dealing with the language and the imagery of warfare Right, that's what this passage is about. Take up the armor of God, Christian soldiers. There, there's a quote that I found this week in my studies from a, a, a Greek historian by the name of Polybius that, that in this time in which the letter to the Ephesians was written, the Roman soldier was expected. I don't think it's really changed. I think we expect this of soldiers today. They were to be the kind of person who could be relied upon when, when under pressure, the kind of person who would stand fast and not give way. And that's the kind of determination that we need in this battle against the spiritual forces of wickedness. We are not to retreat. That would be the opposite of this standing firm. We're not to retreat, we're not to shrink back, we're not to fall away, but we are to stand firm. I, I was reading through in my devotions this week, I trust, I know some of you were as well, in the book of Second Samuel, and I just came across this little nugget about this man named Ittai the Gittite. He was, a, he was a servant of King David, and after the time when David's son Absalom rebelled against David and was threatening David's kingdom, uh, Ittai came and aligned himself with David, and David said, why, why are you going to come with me? I, you can see I'm fleeing, I'm in trouble— Maybe you just want to go and, and serve Absalom. And Ittai said, as the Lord lives, and as my Lord the King lives, wherever my Lord the King shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. That's a picture of what it means to stand firm. We, we sang of this posture last Sunday, I think it was. There's some songs we could just be singing every week in this series on the armor of God. But I think it was last Sunday we sang, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. That's what we're getting at here in this call to stand firm. That's the heart of the battle that we are engaged in. We can look around at the culture And we can see marks of evil and we can lament that, we can grieve over that. But we must understand that the real battle is going on in our own hearts. It is for the allegiance and the devotion of our own souls. And so the writer to the Hebrews says to those he was writing to in the first century, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart that would lead you to fall away from the living God. We're not to be the people who fall away from the living God, but the people who stand firm. But we must be warned to take care because there are forces at work in the world. Right? We read about those forces. We talked about it at great detail uh, last Sunday in verse 12. There are forces at work in this world that are intent on causing you to fall away. And God, in his kindness to us, he would not have us be ignorant of what we're signing up for when we decide to follow Jesus. When we come to Jesus, we're not given a hammock to sleep in, to take a nap in. We're given armor, Christians. There is great joy, don't, get, don't misunderstand me, there is great joy in following Jesus. Jesus does tell us in Matthew 11 that his yoke is easy, that his burden is light. But that does not mean that following him is always a walk in the park. No, we're told just the opposite. It is a fight. It is called the fight of faith. And so this same Paul who who wrote the letter to the Ephesians, when he came to the end of his life, he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's where the fight is being waged. Will you keep the faith? Now commenting on this verse, commenting on 2 Timothy 4, 7, where Paul says to fight that he has fought the good fight of faith, Uh, J.C. Ryle writes this in his book, Holiness, and I'm just putting a plug in for the reading group that's starting on Saturday. Men, if you haven't gotten a copy of this book, I'm inviting all men to come. We're going to be in the church. Some people call it the basement. Some people think that's a pedestrian way of putting it, and they call it the lower level. Whatever it is that you call it, down there, Lord willing, on Saturday, some men will be gathering to discuss J.C. Ryle's book, Holiness. Perhaps this quote would whet your appetite to make this time a priority. Ryle says, the true Christian is called to be a soldier and must behave as such from the day of his conversion to the day of his death. He's not meant to live a life of religious ease, laziness, and security. He must never imagine for a moment that he can sleep and doze along the way to heaven, like one traveling in an easy carriage. If he takes his standard of Christianity from the children of this world, he may be content with such notions, but he will find no countenance for them in the Word of God. If the Bible is the rule of faith and practice, he will find his course laid down very plainly in this matter. He must fight. We must understand that. Whether you're a Christian man or you're a Christian woman, the same is, call is the call for all of us. We are being opposed. There are forces that would push us away from our sincere and pure devotion to Jesus. And so we must fight. We must fight to stand firm. Do you, do you have a plan for that? Like, do you have a plan this week to, to stand firm in the Lord? It would be good to talk about that this afternoon with another Christian brother or sister. What's your plan to stand firm? How will you help other people to stand firm? Right after that warning in Hebrews 3 about the danger of falling away, the writer of the Hebrews says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called a day that none of you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What's what's your plan? I have uh, the privilege of of conducting many membership interviews as people want to become members of this church and preparing people for baptism. And I, I know of no one who plans to shrink back and be destroyed. I never sit with anybody when we're thinking about baptism, when we're thinking about membership. And it's their plan to be gripped by an evil heart of unbelief that would cause them to fall away from the the living God. But it does happen, sadly. Uh, You could do a a study this afternoon of one man in the Bible named Demas. It would be a very short study. It would not take you long. He's mentioned only in three little verses of the Bible. One in Colossians, uh, one in Philemon, where he's referred to as a fellow worker with Paul. And he sends his greetings to the church in Colossae as a fellow worker with the Apostle Paul. And then we see in 2 Timothy 4 that Demas, in love with this present world, abandoned Paul. The Bible warns us, doesn't it? If anyone thinks he stands, let him take heed, lest he fall. And I I know of no stable, steadfast saints who became so accidentally. No, we must fight. We must fight to stand firm. We're not just called to make a good start with Jesus, we're not just called to come to him, we are called to come to him, but we're called to go on with him, to stay with him and to stand firm for him. The only true disciple of Jesus is the one who continues and perseveres as a disciple of Jesus. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 10, the one who endures to the end is the one who will be saved. And so I would give some consideration to that this morning, brothers and sisters. It does not matter if your heart was soft to the gospel last year. It does not matter if you were watching carefully how you walk and laying aside every sin that clings so closely. If you were doing all that last year, the question is, are you doing that today? Are you running that race set before you today? Perhaps you ask a question. Larry, are you... It sounds like you're suggesting that I might not be eternally secure, that I might be truly trusting in Jesus and then that I might not be his anymore and that I could be ripped apart from his love and fellowship. Are you saying that, Larry? I'm glad you asked because I'm not actually saying that. The word of God tells us that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion unto the day of Christ. Praise God. But... He has not given you such a sweet assurance in the Bible to make you lazy about the present warfare that we are engaged in in this world. But he has given us promises like that, that we might be soldier-like in our resolve and in our resistance. We are called to train ourselves for godliness. And the evidence that that work has begun in us is that we are committed to training ourselves for the purpose of godliness and that we are committed to pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We must strive for that holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And it's a striving because there are evil forces at work in the world that would press against us. It is, as we're told, the evil day. Okay, point number two. Thank you, darling. Just had to mention, you know, everyone else is looking anyway, so thank you for doing that. I hope that's some... Uh, Contents for you on what it means to stand firm. Why are we in particular need of this exhortation to stand firm? Because it is the evil day you see there in verse 13. There are forces. We read about them. Again, we talked about it last week. Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places led by the devil scheming against us. Forces of evil that would drive us backwards in this battle, that would seek to devour us, that would love to see us retreating, shrinking back, falling away. What is this evil day that is being referred to? Well, some people believe that it's a a, a special time, a single day of particular tribulation right before the second coming of Jesus. I don't think it's that. I don't think that's what Paul is referring to here. I think this is a description of the present world that we live in. Right? The Apostle John says that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul described this present age as an age of evil. And we need special watchfulness and sober-mindedness to stand firm. Because, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, the days are evil. That's happening now. The days are evil. Look at Ephesians 5, 15. Paul writes, look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Notice that Paul does not leave it to question. He does not leave any uncertainty as to whether you will have evil days. He just says pretty straight up, armor up, child of God, armor up, saints, so that you can withstand, so that you can resist and hold firm in the evil day. It's going to happen. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. We're told that Paul, in Acts chapter 14, he went around visiting the churches that he'd helped to plant, and it says he went around encouraging them all, telling them that it was through many afflictions that we must enter the kingdom of God. And so we're to get ready, because it is an evil day in which we live. That does not mean that every day is as evil and as affliction-filled as it could be. Right. I mean, this is a beautiful day. Like, it's a really nice day. I hope you've come on this lawn with reasons that you can be thankful to God, comforts that you have known, blessings that you have enjoyed, gifts that you can celebrate, health and safety and freedoms, which with, which we ought to not be uh, thankless for. There's much blessing that we know. But this word, this phrase, the evil day, reminds us that we should not be surprised when we meet fiery trials and the enemy is prowling in those afflictions. Uh, One commentator on the book of Ephesians, Peter O'Brien has put it this way, Satan and his hosts exist for the purpose of bringing their evil and destructive influences to bear on the world and humanity at every level. We know in the scriptures that Satan at times hinders travel plans. We read about that in 1 Thessalonians 2.18. He incites physical affliction and natural disasters and moral injustices as we read about in the story of Job. Uh, We're told in Revelation chapter 2, he is responsible for believers being cast into prison. He provokes false teaching even in churches that sometimes leads God's people astray. We're warned about that in 1 Timothy chapter 4. As we considered last week, he he stirs up lofty opinions and arguments that would oppose the knowledge of God. He is seeking at every level of human society to bring his evil and destructive influences upon the world. It is the day of evil. You don't need a PhD in in theology to know that, do you? These are evil days. These are hard times. The race is long. The trials are many. The opposition feels endless. We, We live with an experience of perpetual burden. Paul says it in Romans 8 that the whole creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth. And not only is the creation groaning, but we ourselves, the people of God who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait for the coming day of glory and salvation. And it's easy in the midst of that groaning to grow tired and to grow faint-hearted, to shrink back on our commitments and on our fidelity to the Lord Jesus. That is the enemy's prime aim. Don't be distracted by all the bells and whistles of the troubles and the tribulations. That's just window dressing. The aim that the enemy has is to destroy your faith. It is that you would fall away from your devotion to Jesus. It's that you would not stand firm in allegiance to him. And so the apostles, the word of God calls us in the midst of the many schemes of our enemy, the apostles call us to stand against those forces of evil, to resist them. That's what the word uh, translated withstand in Ephesians 6.13. That's another way that you could translate it. Resist. It's used by the apostle Peter in 1 Peter 5 when he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour him. Resist him. Withstand. Stand against him. Firm in your faith. James has a similar warning to us in sober terms. He says in James 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now listen to the prescription. What are we to do? How do we stand against the evil one? He says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So life is hard. Life can be exhausting. And because of that exhaustion, we can just grow weary and faint-hearted in our devotion to the Lord. And so we need to be admonished. We need to be exhorted in those times when the enemy is prowling to look into your own hearts. You see, this is not a word that is an easy word to bring to someone who is in the midst of deep suffering. Would you want to go to someone in the midst of deep, deep calamity and tell them, be wretched and mourn and weep? Let your laughter be turned to gloom and your mourning." and your joy, uh, turn your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. That's a hard word to hear. There's call in the Scriptures to weep with those who weep, to sympathize with those who are in grief. But in love, I want to tell you today that it's in those seasons of tribulation, it's in those seasons when, the, when you feel as though the devil may be on the prowl in your life, that you do need to be especially vigilant with your souls. That's what he wants to do to you. That's what he wants to destroy we can be intoxicated with the things of this world. Have you found that to be so? In the midst of pain, in the midst of heartache and tribulation, that it's easier to watch eight hours of football this afternoon than it is to spend one hour watching and praying? We must be aware. It is in the midst of these evil days that the enemy would seek to pull our hearts away from the loyalty and allegiance that we have to Jesus. And so even those who are suffering, again, while we weep with them, while we sympathize, while we have compassion on them, this is God's word. Resist the devil in faith and repentance. Do not yield. Do not retreat. Do not shrink back in the hour of trial, but endure, hold fast to the confession of your hope without wavering. And be assured, Christian brother and sister, be assured that God has given you all that you need to withstand in the evil day. That is point number three, how do we stand in this battle to stand firm? We are called to be sober, but we need not be scared because the call of God in this passage is to put on the armor of God and God has provided that armor. How do we stand? We, we take, verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. It's God's armor. It's the armor that God himself has provided for you. Isn't that wonderfully encouraging? I Praise the Lord indeed that it does not say, take up the breastplate of self-will. Put, take up the shield of human effort. How disheartening would that be? But no, what God says is that all we have needed, thy hand hath provided. He has trained our hands for war, even as it says in Psalm 144, as I called us to worship. Our God of endurance trains us for war. It is, as we read in Jeremiah 17, it is a day of disaster. It is a day of evil. But God is our refuge. And both Psalm 144 and Jeremiah 17 about God being our refuge and God training our hands for war, those promises find their yes, as does every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It all comes to us in Jesus Christ. Now, we have time in the weeks to come, Lord willing, to think about each piece of armor. That's what we're going to do the next time we come back to Ephesians chapter 6. But if I could just give you a preview right now, just think about these pieces of armor. The belt of truth. What is the truth? Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul calls it the truth as it is in Jesus. Jesus himself is the truth, right? He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So to take up the, bre- the, the belt of truth is to take up the Lord Jesus. The breastplate of righteousness Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 that our new self has been created. It is God's workmanship. It has been created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The word of God says that God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. We have that breastplate of righteousness in Jesus. The gospel of peace. Well, Jesus himself, Ephesians 2.13, he himself is our peace. When we were far off, we, we were brought near to God through Jesus. We are to take up the shield of faith. And where does faith come from? Is it our own doing? No, it is not. Ephesians chapter 2 says, this faith is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God. It is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We're to take up the helmet of salvation. Are we saved by our efforts and works? No, it is by grace that you have been saved. We are to take up the word of God. And who is the word of God? Jesus is the word of God. We have been born again, the Bible says, through the living and abiding word of God. We're to go to him in prayer, praying at all times in the spirit. Do we have the the rights and the audacity to come to God in prayer in our own strength? No. Ephesians 3.12 says we have boldness and confidence and access to God in Christ. Oh, all of this armor of God is Christ. God means, when he says take up the whole armor of God, he means that you've got all the tools to do the job. And all the tools are found in Jesus Christ. And that's why the writer of Jude can say, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. That word present is, is actually literally the same word here, Translated, stand firm in the evil day. He is the one who is able to stand you. It doesn't say that in the translation because that just sounds weird. But that's what it says in in Jude 24. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to stand you blameless before the presence of his glory. With great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Do you feel that you've got to put on all the armor, that you've got to do all this warfare on your own? That is the exact opposite message of the Bible's message. We stand in battle and we persevere to the end in the very same way that we were saved in the first place, and that is by grace through faith. This call to stand in Ephesians 6 assumes that we have been made alive and we were made alive in Christ. And I do just want to take a moment, do I? I'm almost done, but I I, I must speak a word or two to those of you that might be visiting with us that are not in Christ. Everything that I've just been saying has just, is gone right by you if you are still dead in your sin. And the Bible does say that's the picture. If you're here this morning and you're visiting with us, we are glad that you're here. We're always glad when you come, you can come and visit us as often as you want. We, it's our desire to be very honest with you about what the Bible says about your condition. And what the Bible says is that if you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Jesus, you are dead. You're dead to God. Your, your heart's disposition is to oppose him. You are outside of him. You are walking the opposite way from his way. The things of this world have more value and life for you than he does. You have chosen to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And the Bible says your foolish hearts have been darkened. We don't look down upon you if that is your condition because we can all on this lawn attest that at one point that was our very condition. But we want you to know if you're here this morning and you have not trusted in Jesus, you might feel free, but you are not free. The Bible says you are in bondage. You are not alive, but you are dead. You're not basically a good person, but you are condemned and unclean. And yet the Bible has such wonderful news to those of us who know that, who actually believe that about ourselves. Because the word of God says in this very letter to the Ephesians, that when we were dead in our trespasses, God being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you can be saved. God raised up Jesus and he raises up his people with Jesus to show them the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. And so if you're here this morning and you have not put your faith in Jesus, oh, we urge you to do that. If you have found that this is an evil day, these are evil days in which we live. Oh, we invite you to confess that you are part of that evil. And yet in Christ, there is mercy and pardon for all who would come to him. If you don't even know what that would look like or mean or how to do that, talk to me after the service. Talk to someone seated around you. Kids, kids, I, I want you to know too, this is a, a hard message. And we're talking about the devil and demons and that can be scary. It sounds scary. And so kids, I want you to listen to me. The devil is a very strong enemy. He's like a really strong bad guy. And we're, we're far too weak. You are far too weak to beat him all by yourself. But we have such wonderful news for you kids. And that is that Jesus is stronger than that really strong bad guy. And Jesus showed how strong he is by dying on the cross and freeing everyone who believes in Jesus from the slavery that we were in to the devil. And he gives his people all who are trusting in him. And you can trust in him at any age. If you can hear me and you're understanding the words that I'm saying right now, kids, you can put your trust in Jesus. And he promises that everyone who trusts in Jesus, he will give the power to stand against the devil so that we can fight the devil and we can win. We don't have to be afraid of the devil because in Jesus, we have strength. That's why the writer of Hebrews can say, In the midst of this exhortation to not fall away, he could say, We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We stand because of Jesus. There is no need to fear in this battle, beloved. The days are evil, endurance is needed. And when you're, when you're feeling tired, when you're feeling weary, you look to Jesus and you remember how he stood for you. Isn't that amazing? I, I had a, I had a, well, I, I'm, I'm outing myself here. I celebrated a birthday over the weekend and I'm not telling you that to just so that you would just be, oh, happy birthday. But I, I had a birthday over the weekend and... um because of just some circumstances, my, our plans for the weekend got messed up a little bit. And I was reminded, and I have shared this before, but I, I don't know how many of you remember this as part of my story of coming to faith in Jesus. My testimony of coming to faith in Jesus revolves around a particular birthday uh, in the year 2000, when some plans of mine got, got messed up, and I concluded because my plans for my birthday got messed up in, this, in the fall of, actually it was the fall of 1999, that I, I concluded that God didn't exist. Because my, my birthday plans got messed up. And you think that sounds a little bit ridiculous, but such is the nature of our fallen, rebellious humanity. We are so about ourselves that we can conclude because my plans for partying on my birthday in 1999 got messed up, this is probably evidence that God doesn't really exist. And I was reminded of that yesterday because I was a little bit irritated. This maybe too strong a word, but I was... I was feeling that something, that my plans were being frustrated. And I thought, after 22 years, is that 22 years? 22 years? 99? Yep. After 22 years, I'm still basically dealing with the same problems. Now I did not conclude, praise God. I did not draw the conclusion yesterday that God didn't exist. But I'll tell you what conclusion I did draw. God is so good. God is so patient. Jesus is so gracious that he stands with me. And when you get weary, beloved, you will. You will get weary. Oh, you lay hold by faith. You consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. As I prepare to get stung by a bee, I will stand firm. <laughs> beloved, the battle is, is fierce. The vic- the. the, the The adversaries are many, but after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he will himself confirm and restore and establish and strengthen you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Beloved, this is the true grace of God, Peter writes. Stand firm in it. Love you, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your standing with us and for us. We know that our hearts stray. We get entangled far too easily. But we love you. We thank you for the firm foundation that we have in Christ, that you have laid for us and for our faith in your excellent word. Oh, you have said such good things to us. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will cause you to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. Father, in the midst of deep distress and fiery trials, would you make that so for us? Help us to keep on looking to Jesus, standing firm in the evil day, by your grace and for your glory. We ask all this, Through Christ, amen.